Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Acts chapter 4, please, Acts chapter 4 in our series, Standing Strong. I trust you can find your way to Acts chapter 4, and we'll look at the character here by the name of Peter, Peter the Apostle. Peter's power's confidence was in the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus. There's great power in the name of God, the name of Christ. So far in our Standing Strong series, we've looked at Bible characters who exude confidence. We looked at Gideon and Jeremiah and Hezekiah and Esther and even the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, David and Abigail. Today we look at a Peter and his confidence that exuded from his life because of his relationship to the Lord. I was listening to a song. I don't know where I ran into it. I was scrolling through some YouTube songs, and I came across one hymn that I have not heard sung. I don't know that we've ever sung it here it may not be a, a hymn that's that familiar with our tradition, but I grew up in, uh, in well, I, I spent a lot of time ministering, as you know, in Indiana, not far from Alexandria, Indiana. I don't know if you know about, uh, that's the home to, um, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Bill Gaither, who's not a cousin of Bill Gothard, but uh, just up the road from us. And uh, I remember listening from time to time as uh, they seem to sing with a different spirit than our church. Our church, we kind of, back in the day, we sang from our head. But those folks from the church of God, I was a little jealous. Just be honest, it'll be our secret. It seemed like they sang from their hearts. I'm not mad at the folks from the church of God. I believe many of them are saved. Amen. But I wish that we too sang from our hearts more. And they... I could throw a name and you would know exactly who she is, but it was her signature song. And here's what the lyric is. What a lovely name. There's a name above all others. Wonderful to hear, bringing joy and cheer. It's a lovely name, the name of Jesus. Let the world proclaim what a lovely name, Jesus. What a lovely name, the name of Jesus reaching higher far than the brightest star, sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. Let the world proclaim what a lovely name, Jesus. He'll return in clouds of glory, saints of every race shall behold his face, with him enter heaven's city ever to proclaim what a lovely name. Yes, it had a little bit of a southern flavor to it. But oh, how it was so precious to hear folks singing, and we do okay, but singing, I could do better, couldn't you? Singing from their hearts about that lovely name. That song I've never heard in our church circles, but I was so thankful to hear it sung with a smile. I think we ought to sing with a smile on our faces. I, I really do. It was almost as if they were singing or saw singing as their gift, their love gift to the one they loved the most. That's what a song service should be, amen? Just let your heart be all about your singing. 
I want to do better myself in giving God the offering of song. Even if you can't sing a lick, (laughs) just enjoy it. And if people move away from you while you're singing, that's okay. We still have room for you to sing. We are in Acts chapter, that was all for free, Acts chapter 4, and we're going to talk about the theme of that lovely name. We'll read the first 12 verses to set the context. Our theme, of course, is the name, the courage and confidence and boldness that comes when we operate in the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. This is Of course, Peter and John, we'll talk more about the context in a moment, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They had more than a suspicion that Christ was was alive and had come forth from the dead. They knew better in their hearts, but they wanted to suppress the idea that these folks, Christians, were serving a living Lord. And they laid their hands upon them, put them in hold, That's in prison until the next day, for it was now eventide, howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. The church was exploding. It came to pass on the morrow that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now the council, the Sanhedrin met, some 70 or so, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked the question, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, there had been a healing in chapter 3 of Acts, we'll talk about that, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and all the people of Israel, Here again is the motif or the theme of chapters 3 and 4. You'll see it over repeated about seven or eight times. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is done, which is, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. Let's say that verse together, shall we? Just join me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. We'll continue looking at this. Uh, I just want to remind you, if you flip back a page, of the reoccurrence of the the, the word name in our text this morning, beginning in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is the story of how this man at the temple was healed. He was lame from birth. He was over 40 years of age. The Bible tells us in chapter 4, verse 22, he's not a young man. He's, a, he's in his 40s, and he's been lame all of his life. And when John and Peter come to the temple for, for prayer, uh, they, by the power of uh, the name of Christ, are able to, uh, to heal him. Of course, God's power working through them. But I want you to notice the recurrence of the word name, the name of Jesus. Verse 6, chapter 3. Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. We see that name in chapter 3, 16 as well. You've killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whom we are witnesses. And his name through faith and in his name he hath made this man strong. 
See it again in chapter 4, verse 7. We've read that already. By what name? Chapter 4, verse 10. Again, we've read that verse. Verse 12, we've read that one. There is salvation in no other name under heaven. Chapter 4, 17, if you'll follow along in the text, they said, don't speak anymore uh, in this name, the man Jesus. Don't, don't. They, they warned Peter, don't speak in his name. Verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak, teach in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and so you see, even chapter 4, verse 30, we see him responding, stretching forth thy hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child. It seems to be a recurring theme, the name of the Lord. Do you know that our confidence as believers, our boldness as believers, comes when we operate under the authority and in a proper relationship to the name of Jesus Christ? So it is we look at the context here of our wonderful passage and we are reminded that just a few days earlier, the Lord Jesus Christ had been put to death. Three days later came out of the tomb by his own power. He was attested. This resurrection was attested by many in the crowd that were there. Eyewitnesses of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter and John, were surrounded by those who knew who had heard, and many who had seen Christ post his resur- after his resurrection. It was not a secret in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, it was the main whisper on the mouths of so many, have you heard, have you heard that Jesus, who was crucified, buried, is now risen? And, and it hasn't been many days since this Lord has, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, slowly ascended into the heavens with the commission to his disciples, Go, preach the gospel, start here in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part, and I'm with you. Take the name of Jesus with you. Child of sorrow and of woe. And a few days earlier, before his own death, the Lord had stood at the tomb of Lazarus, and he said to those in chapter 11 of John and verse 26, Whoso liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Only one man had the power to bring life to the dead. Only one man in the world has the power to bring spiritual life to the spiritually dead. His name is Jesus. It's a unique name in all the world. Do you know that many people have not heard the name of Jesus ever? What a lovely name. His name, the Bible says, the angel said when they first came and announced his birth, call his name Jesus, for he shall what? Save his people from their sins. His name means Savior. Have you met him? Have you met him as your Lord and Savior? Well, then if you have, dear friend, you have something to rejoice about, right? Amen. And so it is that he commissioned them after he rose again from the dead and went into heaven. Go to the uttermost part of the earth. I am with you. I am the guarantor of power and authority in your life. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, even unto the end of the world. Take the name of Jesus with you. I have no strength or authority or power. 
We're all weak as humans, frail vessels of clay, but with the name of Jesus we proceed. With the name of Jesus we witness. With the name of Christ we do great things. We do valiant things. Some of, some of us, I believe, have forgotten there's power in the name of Jesus. Well, there are believers beginning to gather. The, the, the crowd has grown from 12 in the upper room to 120. 12 disciples, the upper room, 120. And then after Peter's message, we see 3,000. And soon there's 5,000, we know, as the church. And that's just counting the men, not their spouses and children. So we see the church exploding in Jerusalem. And really, it's exploding on the basic premise that they know that Jesus has, raised, has been raised again from the dead by his own power. There's no name like this name he's whispered on the lips of people all throughout the city. Jesus is alive. No name like that name. People were understanding his deity, acknowledging his offer of salvation and being saved from sin, death, and hell. He was transforming people from the inside out. <laughs> I hope that that name has made a difference in your life. If you're truly saved, you can't fake life. He brings you his power, his strength over sin, his authority for living. What a precious name. Would you follow, please, the use of this principle in our text? And I want to bring up two or three ideas here. And we've already read the, a few verses in chapter 4, but let's back up to chapter 3 and read nine verses there. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple, the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, or 3 p.m. A certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And we see a picture behind me of the temple layout. It was at the, at the front gate, really, the, 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 the gate called Beautiful. He was there begging. Verse 3, he was seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, ask an alms. We noticed this when we visited Israel just a couple summers ago, that all, same place, Near the western wall, we sat, we, we were just we, all along the steps. There were those asking for money. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. They saw Peter, he saw Peter, and he asked for a gift. He was begging for money. He couldn't walk. And Peter, fastening his eyes, an interesting statement upon him with John said, Look upon us. Beggar, look up. Look into our eyes. We have something to offer you. I'm sure his hand went out as he looked up. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Must not have been a TV preacher. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He didn't expect that that day. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. The Bible says, and he, it's an interesting progression in terms. You ever heard, you've got to learn to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. Here we see it reversed. And he leaping up, the first, 
the first action he took after being healed by Jesus, the name of Jesus, wasn't that he crawled or walked or learned to walk. He leaped up. Can you just imagine a man who's been sitting in that same place for decades, jumping up, stood, and then he walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, and you would too. Do you know it's okay to skip to church? This man did. It's okay to smile in church if you've heard about the name of Jesus and he's done something even greater than this in your life. So it would be great to be healed from something terrible. Like, what has he done for you? He's released you from the grip of sin, death, and hell. You've got something to sing about. You've got something to smile about. You've got something to skip to church about. This morning, I'm sure you, if you're like the typical house, oh, here it is, church time. Are we ready? Come on, kids, get in the car. Oh, Sunday came so quickly. What do we have to? Listen, here's a man that is excited to go to church. And he is skipping and hopping and leaping and crying out in praise to God. The people saw him walking and praising God, verse 9, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. He leaping up, I like that. Who taught him to walk? Well, it was an immediate healing. It was complete. The progression is he, he didn't have to learn to walk at all. He, he who had never walked, walked and jumped and Praise the Lord. He was excited. All the while, the fundamental Baptist, I'm sure, that had come to the temple that morning or that afternoon to, got on him for his overexpression of joy. Stop that, they said. It's in the text somewhere. We're going to church. Don't get excited. Don't get so excited about what God has done. And the people seeing him, verse 10, were filled with what? Wonder. I had to wonder, when's the last time folks outside the church turned into the parking lot of our church to see our excitement for God? We don't jump or clap or even say amen too loud, might raise an eyebrow. We all have ten reasons why we shouldn't be happy in church, ten reasons why we should be sad, ten reasons we can't jump, skip, hop, or clap our hands. Ten reasons we can't serve or sing or smile. So go ahead and ask him, why are you so happy in the temple? If you're happy and you know it, is that a song just for kids? <laughs> Somehow we grow out of our happiness. We mature out of our joy. Go ahead and ask this man why he's happy and he'll tell you why. If you ask me why I'm happy, I'll just tell you why. Because, he would say, at the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a lifelong, a lifelong disability was lifted from me. And look at me. I'm walking again, or walking for the first time. I'm jumping. That's why I'm happy. Jesus has taken and lifted from me a handicap I've had all my life. 
This miracle so attracted the attention of the people in the courtyard of the temple that they ran to see it greatly, verse 11, greatly wondering at such a miracle of healing. Why is there someone skipping in church? And the man, verse 11, we are told that the man is really grasping Peter and John. He's holding them. The, the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. Can you imagine this? I don't want to get very far from this one or this one. <laughs> Instead of money, look what they did. And he is as close as a shadow to them. And I'm sure that, that Peter and John could have at that moment started a, a healing ministry if they wanted to. They could have done a book deal or a signing maybe <clears throat> from rags to riches. Or they could have even built a little basilica there just because of this, St. Peter's Basilica. Instead, what do they do? They deflect, they deflect the praise. And Peter saw it, verse 12. And he answered the people. They were all there with their mouths wide open, verse 11, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered to the people. And he says, ye men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look ye so earnestly upon us? As though by our own power or holiness we had made this man walk. No, it is about the name of Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we have told this man, it's his power. Rise up and walk. The key thought here is this. It takes courage to deflect praise from our name to the name of Christ. It takes courage to redirect praise from our name to his name. The, the praise and the honor goes to the one who empowers us. Do you spend your life deflecting praise that comes your way? It's about Christ. If there's anything good about our church, if there's anything good about you, if there's anything good about me, it's because Jesus Christ has done it. And Peter could have said, yeah, that, that, that was on. In fact, John didn't have anything. That was all me. And aren't I great? We break our hands trying to pat ourselves on the back. No, he says, verse 12, why are you marveling at this? Why look you so earnestly upon us as though by our own power and holiness? It was not a big deal for God to heal this man. He who part, parted the Red Sea. He who came up out of a grave at his own command. It is by faith, verse 16, in his name, his name alone that has made this man strong. He is standing strong because of the name of Christ. And you think about Peter, what a, what a migration he's made. Remember Peter? Proud Peter. <laughs> After all, he was the one that said, I know who you are, Christ. You're the son of the living God. And just a few minutes later, the, the Lord is having to, to say, Peter, now get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's the one that jumped out of the boat first. He took initiative, right? He walked on. How many of you can say that? I walked on water. Peter squabbled often about prominence. In fact, he was, the, he was the big mouth among the disciples, the twelve. And then at the end of his uh, days with the Lord, of course, you all know he denied the Lord three times, not once, but three times. And Oh, how humbled he was. What a life-changing time that was. And 
so broken he was that when Christ recommissioned him, he never forgot where the power came from. It's in your relationship to the one who is powerful. It is a vested power. Channels only, blessed master. We are just channels. Two preachers were talking about um, their lives. And they were at a little preacher's get-together. And they were both had little Dixie cups of some kind of juice in their hands that they were drinking at break time. And one of them said, what do you see your life as? You've ministered, these are, these are pretty famous preachers. I, you'd know their names. And one of them just finished his drink and he poked out the bottom of his Dixie cup. He says, this is what I am. I'm a channel only of the great power and grace. Never forget, it's not about us. It's about him. Secondly, it takes great courage to preach repentance to those who are named the people of God, religious people. It takes great courage to preach repentance. Do you know what Peter begins to preach? He has an audience. They're, they're amazed and they're marveling at his what he, they think is his great power. And he, he just levels, he levels them. Uh, the end of, middle of chapter 3, all the way to the end, he just levels them. And you would think this is a great time to really kind of preach a positive message about healing, about this is the God that can change your life. He can take from you any problem, your lust or whatever you're facing and your marriage. Or you can fix this and God can fix that. I mean, if he fixed this man, he can fix your stuff and fix your needs. He doesn't. He looks at them instead and, and what does he say? I've circled these words. Because they hit me as I study this context, this passage. He says, I know you. We're related. We're blood brothers. The God of Abraham, verse 13 of chapter 3. Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers. You and I are brethren in, in a national sense. He's glorified his son. And then he gets, he gets right at eye level because many of them in that audience were those that turned the Lord over to Pilate. Here's what he says. You delivered him up. You denied him. Verse 14. You denied the Holy One and the Just One. You desired not only him to be dead, you voted for a murderer to be brought up in his place. Wow. The preaching today is so positive. Have you noticed that on television? Very few preachers are breathing down Fire and brimstone about our sin. And here Peter, he was surrounded by people who knew and were coming to church at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. These were religious folks. And they were diligent about their religion, but they were trusting in some other thing, the name of Moses. And he just looks at them and says, listen, I want to tell you the reason you're not on speaking terms with this Jesus of now is because you have denied him. And you have destroyed him in a human sense. You've taken him and, and turned him over to Pilate. You have desired a murderer to be released. You've denied the Holy One. You've killed the Prince, prince of Life, verse 15. Wow. And what does he say, verse 19, because of this? Because it's you that are, are the sinners and the murderers 
You need to understand. And can you just see him? Here's a man standing, just been healed. They're all mesmerized by that. And he lowers the boom on these religious people. Deal with the sin in your heart because it's separating you from the God of heaven, the true God. We're skipping that message, I think, in, in our preaching today in many regards. We want to go right to the fixes without repentance. We want to go right to the, the reformation of life without true belief and confession and contrition. Without the sackcloth and ashes or without that realization, the heavy burden of it's my sin that separates. It's my sin that took that one to the cross. Don't talk about medicine before you talk about the Messiah. Mm. You don't get saved if you're not lost. You... And so many times I wonder if we haven't allowed... The preaching of John the Baptist was a repentance preacher. Jesus was a repentance preacher. We see it time and time again. And he did not, Peter did not wimp out on the need for confrontational preaching. I, I want medicine from my, my, my spiritual mentors, but it's really the Messiah that I have rejected. And here's how we think. Here, here before you is the healed man. Jesus did that, and Jesus then can fix everything you need to fix, your leprosy, your lameness. Come to us, and we'll offer to you a 12-step program, and you'll be all better. And we do an end around of repentance so often in my ministry. Chris, this may be something you deal with too. I, I myself, and I meet folks that come to me saying, I, I want my marriage to be better. I want, I want things to be better. I want, I want relief from this burden that I'm facing. But please don't talk to me about my sin. I just want the problem to go away. I, I want medicine, but I don't want the Savior. And he says, listen, folks, you have denied, defied, and crucified the Lord. And so take your hands off a of healing. All of them, I'm sure, in that audience, what, 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 is it that, what is it that Peter can do for me? And Peter instead looks at his good friends. Have you found that this is hard to do? To look at your good friends, your relatives, and say really the need is repentance. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start with this mountain of sin that nailed the Christ to the cross and understand you're complicit in the death of the Savior. Until you, dear friends, until you see your sin as being the thing, the burden that Christ was bearing on Calvary, you'll never get saved. And he says, you need to repent, therefore, and then be converted. Repentance is a turning around, a turning away from a seriousness about the sin, my sin, not yours, mine. And a man came to me for, quote-unquote, counseling, said, I just, just hope that you can, you can deal with my wife because she's a mess. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, back, back, back up. Let's talk about you. 
when I can see it's my sin that nailed him there, when I can see it's my sin that's derailing my walk with that le- lovely and precious name, the name of Jesus, when I can see it's that, and that burdens me to the point where I'm ready to turn from it. So many of us want to change, but we want to hold on to past pet sins. Lord, do a great work with me, but can I drag this with me? And the Lord says, no, repent, let go of, turn from, turn to me, and begin to see. True change in your life. Deal with the sin that lieth at the door. I want to get better, but I want to get better without Christ. It won't happen. John, Jesus, Peter, Paul were all preachers of repentance. I, I do like this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. More hellfire sermons in the pulpit would produce less hellbound sinners in the pew. Amen. A famous preacher who you all would know if I named him, TV preacher, once interviewed, was asked, why don't you bring up hell, sin, death, sinners much in your messages and here was his answer he simply said oh people today know they have problems know they're sinners i want to give my life to preaching a positive message if we don't start with sin we'll never know a true savior god didn't come to save you from your financial problems or fix your marriage that's not his primary purpose certainly came to bring uh, healing to your soul. But it starts with understanding it is a little word, S-I-N, that separates me from that one. And if I don't deal, repent, if I don't confess, if I don't come to Christ owning up to this and falling before Him and understanding there's no other hope for me, no eraser for my sin, no agency or agent that can take care of my sin except for that one name. That glorious name, Jesus. And it's not Him plus. It's just Him alone. So they came. And they began to wear them out over their sin. I, I guess we kind of miss that kind of preaching today in America. Just, uh, they say of Jonathan Edwards that in that great, American revival, that the Great Awakening, that when Jonathan Edwards preached, he didn't move much from the pulpit, and he kept his head down a lot of the time. He was a bit of an introvert, but he knew the Bible so well that he, layer upon layer, he cross-referenced his messages, and he focused that Great Awakening began with a heaviness in the heart of people when they realized they were exactly who Jesus said they were, sinners without hope. But there was hope in Christ. And it, uh, the, the historians tell us that as he preached about the sin in the heart of every one of us, and how, how it disappointed and how it grieved the heart of God, that there was a palpable crying that would go on throughout as people realized there's no way that a sinner like me can approach a pristine and holy and sinless God without the means of grace. And they didn't wait until the end of the service at the appropriate time but the Bible, I mean, the stories 
about this time in history said they would just come. And there would be tears. Because it starts with an understanding that I can't clean up enough. I can't build a ladder tall enough. My good works and my religion, it takes courage to look at folks who are religious and in church and say, listen, unless you deal with sin, you'll never be changed by the grace of God. So important, isn't it? We do that. Another principle, it takes courage to be clear about the only name that saves the only name that saves. It takes courage, first of all, to deflect the praise from your name to the name of Christ. It takes courage to preach repentance to those who you know by name and claim to be religious. And then finally, it takes courage to be clear about the exclusivity of the gospel. There is only one name. We've already memorized probably most of you that verse in chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in, there is not salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus didn't come to teach us science or educate us. If we needed a a great educator, he, he would have sent one, or a, a great scientist, or an astronaut, or whatever. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sin. Raise your hand if you've met the Savior. So, why aren't we excited about that? I guess if someone took us to the edge of hell and pushed our head over the edge and we heard the screams and the anger and saw the darkness of those who have been there for hundreds and thousands of years, I guess maybe that would help or if we were taken to the very blissful golden shores of heaven, and we saw the joy that is there. My dad's been there since November, and sometimes I wake up thinking, what does dad sing today? Here we are in our green pew, doing our life, right? Did you know there is no other remedy for sin? It's only in the name of Jesus. Not Moses, not Buddha, not Allah, not Krishna. There's none other name under heaven. And you know that name. Whereby we must be saved. It bothered me growing up on the mission field. And in Latin countries, this is true as well. Some of the mothers named their little children Jesus. Jesus or Jesus in Portuguese. I thought that's a special name and ought to be reserved for one and one only. There's no other name that can save. We are Christ-like ones. We're Christians, but there's only one Jesus Christ risen and coming again. He alone can save. He alone conquered death, sin, and hell. Our authority, therefore, our power, our boldness rests in the name of Jesus, the only name that can save. Verse 13, chapter 4 says this, when they saw, 
Back up to the, when they saw, therefore, the boldness. We're talking about courage in this series in the summer. When they, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with whom? Jesus. God can take a weakling and fill him with power. These words in the Greek, unlearned and ignorant, simply mean this. Uh, unlearned is illiterate, agramatoi. The other word, idiotai, what does that sound like? It's a word we, the Greek word from which we get idiot, ordinary, common. They saw these unlettered men, these illiterate fishermen, and they saw this great accomplishment through the power of God, and they said, this, this can't be from their background. It can't be. We've missed seeing them at the best schools here in Jerusalem. They haven't been here. They've been in fishing boats. So what is happening in their lives must be attributed to whom? Jesus. They've been with Christ. And may it be said of you, and may it be said of me, that every morning when we get out there in the marketplace of life, that the glory and the power and the authority of our witness and life is not resting in some seminary degree, but because somewhere along the line, we've walked, and we've sung, and we've skipped, and we've run with Jesus. And we've enjoyed the power and the authority. Lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. Your time with God produces power for living and puts to silence the arguments of your enemy. Look at verse 16 before we close. <clears throat> what shall we do <clears throat> to these men? For that Indeed, a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us immediately or straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Would you guys help us out? They said, <clears throat> we're not going to throw you in jail or kill you right now anyway. But would you not speak that name anymore? And what was the response? Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. I've underlined this verse, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Let's talk about Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the changer of the inside part of us. He's the one that brings internal, lasting, transformational change. He's the one that can cover the sins. He atoned for them at the cross. He's the only one that can save. May God help us to remember that in our walk with the Lord. Power for living the Christian life is directly proportional to the time you spend with Jesus. That name that is above every name. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for <clears throat> the relationship that we enjoy because of you, because of your name, because of your claim upon our lives. Thank you for paying sin, the, the sin debt that we 
rightly and justly should have paid, could not pay. We owed a price, a debt that we could not pay, but thank you for coming from heaven's glories, standing in our stead, dying in our place. Thank you for the power that raised you from the dead. Thank you for your sole claim to deity and divinity. And thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. And may we operate, may we live in the power May we go in the power of that name, Jesus. We cannot but speak the things that we've heard and seen. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.